Behold, that sweet Beulah land. Can't wait to be there. Go ahead and find your place tonight in the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, chapter number 32. Jeremiah 32. It's a truthful saying we find. When you find uh, chapter 32, go ahead and turn to verse 26 and stand. If you have a skull field, it's page 108, sorry, 808. We see here that Jeremiah and the Lord are having a conversation. Jeremiah is in captivity. The Lord is, is talking to him and comforting him and telling him what will and what will become soon. And then it says in verse 26, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. It's undeserved, it's unwarranted. But Lord, we, we love it, Lord. God, help us as we just lean upon you, Lord, and follow after your will for our lives. That's in your name. Amen. The context here is Jeremiah has been thrown into a prison. He, he's, he's having conversations with God and God is comforting him and God is talking with him. And Jeremiah himself in previous verses said that, Lord, you are the one that made heaven and earth. We see back inside of verse 17 of that same chapter, it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out, and, and stretched out arm and there is Nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompense the iniquity of the fathers unto the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. And then he begins to still praise God and thank God and explain that the reason this wrath is coming, because at this time, God is telling Jeremiah, the Chaldeans and Babylon will take over. They will destroy Israel. They will scatter them abroad. Israel has sinned once again. They've created high places of, 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 of worship to, to other little G gods. They've created sin in their own lives that has turned their hearts away from God yet again. And it's come to a point where Jeremiah Jeremiah is being told by God, the time has come for my children to be scattered. And they'll be scattered abroad and I, I, I will bring them back at some point in some time. And we know that that happens down a couple of books away. But as of right now, the God is proclaiming the truth that what he will scatter, he will then regather together for a greater purpose and a greater glory. And it's Jeremiah talking with God saying, you're, you're wonderful, you're great, you're mighty God, you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you're all-love. And you will scatter us because of our sin. You will scatter us because of our ways. But then he says, you are, as he says in verse 17, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And when God answers him, he, he, he begins again by reiterating what Jeremiah has already said and says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You know, as, as, as peoples, 
we can get ourselves into things that are too hard for us. There's a story about a young man. He was moving to his first ever home. And he, he, he bought the home outright, but he, he needed to furnish it. He didn't think about furniture. Now, I understand that. When we first got our apartment in Oklahoma City, we arrived with, I, I had sold a bunch of my possessions, and so I had clothing and books, and that was it. So we get there, and we realize we need stuff like a bed, and a bed frame, and a broom. I didn't think about buying a broom. Oh, this is my ever, first ever broom buying experience. Didn't realize that the apartment, sarcastically, didn't realize the apartment didn't come with, with a fully stocked pantry. That was my first ever me shopping trip. It was fun. It was unique, but it, it came lacking and needed to be moved into. When we bought our house, we realized very quickly that moving from a 750-square-foot apartment to then a 14-double-decker one duplex to then a 1,400-square-foot house, we realized that we needed more stuff. Because, you know, one bedroom, one bath to a three bedroom, two bath, we're like, well, it's one room and two empty ones. We need to get stuff. It was, it was, it was a cool experience growing into your own home, buying stuff. I mean, who knew we needed more pictures? Because walls look better with them, apparently. It was a fun experience. But there was a man... Back to the story, there was a man who moved into his first ever house. He, he decided to buy a house that he would grow into. So he bought a four-bedroom, three-bath. Single guy. It's him and his, his backpack, basically. And he moved in, and he realized he needed to furnish the house. He went to the, 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 the local furniture store, and they sold solid wood furniture. Beautiful. But expensive. <laughs> expensive. Most of the solid wood items I own, I inherited or, or someone was selling it cheap at a garage sale. So he fell into what a lot of people fall into is the trap of what's known as Ikea. You ever been to an Ikea? I heard they had meatballs, so I went. That's legitimately why I went. I heard they sold meatballs, and I was curious. So we went to Austin. We were in Georgetown, and there was an Ikea. And we walked in, and I realized... If you're not prepared for Ikea, Ikea will eat you before you get to any of the meatballs. Because that place is a maze. It's packed full of stuff that looks nice. But you don't see Ikea's true colors till you've walked through their millions of aisles of display stuff. Past the meatball restaurant, you get to what's called the warehouse part of it. And it's, imagine Sam's, but boxes and boxes of unassembled stuff. See, they got you by you looking at all the assembled stuff. Everything comes apart from Ikea. Everything. You can buy a sink that comes with pieces. Who knew sinks were more than one piece? It's insane. So we get to the warehouse part and I quickly realized I wanted nothing from Ikea because building that stuff would drive me crazy. Unfortunately for our story, the man who bought a four-bedroom, three-bath, didn't think about that part. He went to the local furniture store that sold kit furniture, like in Ikea or whatever it was in his part of the country, and he went ahead and bought a full house of furniture, all of it. And he'd, he'd been rather handy over the time of his life that he's had, so he, he decided that he could build it all in one day. And I'll open the first box quickly realized the instructions weren't in the language he spoke and began to try his best to assemble it by the pictures only. 
ended up having extra screws and pieces and bolts and stuff. And that wasn't a big issue, just, just, just a little shelf. But the more and more he built, the more and more frustrated he got by the assembly of everything. He was, he was upset with how you had to make your own picture frames. He was upset with, with the, the, the confusing instructions. He was just done with it. And about a week later, he quit. Finding out that he bit off more than he could chew. I'm not an advocate for anti-assembly yet. <laughs> but I've had a couple pieces of furniture I've bought that looked great on the display shelf that I could have designed the instructions way better than what they did. We recently built a bed frame and the bed frame instructions were actually backwards. So I had to reconfigure it in my own brain and do it right because the way they wanted it was never going to work. It's a frustrating thing. But people find themselves in situations where they go into it with full confidence finding out that they rapidly bit off more than they could chew. I think about the, the, the state contest from the big Texan inside of um, Amarillo. It's a 72-ounce steak. And I hear stories of folks walking in and ready to conquer that, getting about three-quarters done and realizing this is not possible. I've heard of folks do it. I don't know how. But we, we find as people we bite off more than we can chew. We take on projects bigger than what we're used to. I've had countless friends get married at young ages, totally fine. Then they buy a house and they want to remodel all of it, so they move in and a week later have everything down to the studs. And then three years later, they have a few rooms still that way. And they're frustrated by it. They bit off more than they can chew. We do that as humans. We find ourselves not tossing in the variable of our own limitations it's true we have limitations i no matter what i think of myself i have constantly found that there are things that i have limits for i can't stand so much of a good thing as as people we have limitations that keep us from doing what we want to do i mean i would love to be able to go to the gym six days a week my limitation is i don't want to so I don't. And I've met my limitations. I, I would love to own a nicer, newer car. But my limitations are financial. And I can't just, I, I can't convince myself to just jump into it whole hog and be $1,000 in debt. No, it, it's good to know your limits. It's good to know what you can and can't do. It's a big part of growing as a person is understanding your own limitations. I'm not that old. I'm only 26. But... To quote the philosopher Harrison Ford, it's not the years, the mileage. And my, my body has been through a lot over the years. I've uh, been in several accidents and just dumb stuff. But I, I recently found out that back pain puts you down. We were, we were at, telling on myself here, we had a, uh, a, an issue with one of our trash cans, our outdoor trash cans at work. We don't even have them out because they're heavy and we don't want them. We put them in outside storage. Well, three guys had to move them to put them down to get some behind it. And they left it. And I got upset about it. So I walked out there, grabbed a 370-pound trash can and just deadlifted it and put it back where it was. Got about four steps and realized that hurt. And two weeks later, I'm still complaining about it because it really messed me up. 
I had to go see a, a couple of specialists to find out what I did. I'm fine, but it was a dumb idea. And I have learned so I have some limitations. And I will continue to learn those limitations. But you know who's not limited? God. Thank goodness. You know who's not a, a, a person that has limits and has things they can and cannot do. It is the Lord God. And when you look at Jeremiah, who has met some limitations in his life, he is known as the weeping prophet. He's had some battles with depression. He's had some issues where he just wanted to quit and give up. He even did it one time, and then he had to, he had to restart because that burning passion in his heart. We see him sitting in a cell, hearing God talk about the future of Israel, and he understands that it is so true what God is saying that behold I am the Lord the God of all flesh there is there anything too hard for me so real quickly we're going to do two points tonight about the limitless God the limitless God Jehovah here is answering Jeremiah and he is saying I, I, I have had it with my people I'm going to scatter them abroad they will be thrown to the east and the west in captivity captivity they will be moved about but I will one day gather them together because I am a God of promises and a God of no limits see when you look at who God has conquering these people when you look at who God has Taking over Israel, these aren't the, the, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. They're not known for returning slaves. They're not known for, for giving back. But we know that down in a couple of years, in a couple of books, and we see it from Jeremiah, we see it from, from the, minor, the, the minor prophets, we see it in Daniel's time, we see it inside of the building of the wall, we see where, where God brings his people back together. He brings them out of countries that don't give away slaves. I continuously think of God's power in Egypt. Egypt had the Israelites for 400 years and they just let them go. That's unheard of. Other nations and cultures were also slaves of the Egyptians and they weren't let go. We have a limitless God who has nothing holding him back and his will is as good as done. And he takes the time to talk to Jeremiah in a state of lowness and he says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You know, that question is, is, is unnecessary. The answer is no. The answer is there's nothing too hard for God. But so often that question is a continual asking part of our lives because as Christians, we, 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 we see our life as something that we control. And we bite off more than we can chew. We bite off more than we can handle. And we find ourselves in a state of depression, maybe starting out on a good work for a good reason and a good cause. But we forget that we don't do it by our power and our might, but by the Lord's power we do it in. We, 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 we take off in this direction involving ministry or involving loving one's neighbor. And we have a good heart and a good reason. But like the disciples who, who went out and found themselves not able to cast out demons, Christ says, oh, ye little faith, it's not in your power, it's in my power. Is there anything too hard for me, God asks. 
you know, as Christians, there's, there's a lot involved in ministry. I don't just mean on a staff position or in a pastor or a position of authority over church. I mean, as a Christian involved in church, there is heartache, there is heartbreak, and there is issues that just get to you and grieve your spirit. There's no denying that. Loving people hurts. Loving people is one of the most painful things you'll ever do. People say, why is love so painful? It's because love hung on a cross with three nails holding them to it. Why is love so difficult? Because love is so selfless. And God is love. We see Christians trying to be involved in ministry, trying to be in, involved in a local church, and there, there, there's pain there. There's harm. There's a book I have that I try to read every now and then. It's called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. It's a fantastic book. If you want to borrow it from me, you can. But it's called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And it's about this, this youth pastor and his wife who's years and years in the ministry. And they find themselves in pain and hurt and just failure after failure to failure. And they're, they're, they're wanting to give up and wanting to quit. But they have to liberate the idea that ministry is success. It's not. Ministry is ministry. The same person who has the, the, the desire and the love to teach a class of one, that's the same love that wants to teach a class of a thousand. It's hard. You know it. Put you in the choir here. It's hard to show up to a church where it's you and Uncle Phil, where it's you and, and someone you've known for 30 years of your life. It's hard to go to a church where you teach a class and there's two students every week and they're in the same family until they're gone. Every third Sunday. It's hard to show up and preach to the same folks you've known for years and years. But the Lord says, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I don't remember the exact psalm. I believe Brother Himes mentioned it recently. And the question was asked, can God provide a table in the wilderness? The answer was yes. Jeremiah is listening to God as he talks about the future of Israel, how they'll be scattered, but as part of my will, how they'll be gathered together because of my love, and he will bring them together, and he will love on them. Look here in verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart, one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I will not turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and my whole soul. That's a promise from the God who controls all that's a promise that Israel got to see, received, and they will see it again in the end time when God gathers up his people again. 
That's a promise that is given to all those who are children of God. That's a promise that me and you can see as God's method of redemption for those that he has punished. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I meet my own limitations and I realize I am the son of a limitless God. Why am I trying to do things in my own power? I am the child of a limitless being. Why am I here trying to do it my own power? Number one, we find that we serve a limitless God. Number two, we find that we limit the limitless God. It's so true. We limit the power of God. I, I, I think back to my time around toddlers or kids. They're adorable. They're a handful and a half. They're adorable. One of my favorite things to see in, in, in kids is their desire to do things bigger than themselves. Not, not, not just, you know, normal things. But like to see children, usually as young boys, attempt great feats of strength when they have none. And it's awesome to see. I once watched a two-year-old try to open up a, a childproof jar. And he was after it. I mean, he had it between his thighs. He was both hands twisting. And he's just going to try to get the thing opened. And no matter what he tried or how much he tried to force it, he was beyond his ability. And what more I enjoyed was to see his face when I grabbed it from him and just did. <laughs> I enjoy that because they get to see that I can do it and they can't. And I put it back on and gave it to him. <laughs> I did. I, I enjoy being the, the stronger vessel in my marriage. There's not many jars she can't open, but the ones she can't, I just make eye contact and. Yeah, you're weak. Got this. But you know, we're very much like that with God. We're frustrated. We're upset. We're, we're in, in, in depression, wondering why we can't solve this problem. And God is standing there saying, give it to me. Give it to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come ye that are weak and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take me up upon you. Jeremiah, depressed, looking for what God would have him to do as his prophet. And then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? We have to ask ourselves, is there anything too hard for God? The answer is no. Is there any work he can't do? The answer is no. Is there any growth that we won't see when he allows it? No. There is nothing too hard for God. And the sooner we get it out of our hands and in his, the better. You got a problem in your life? Give it to God. You have difficulty? Give it to God. Lord, I'm, I'm just, I'm upset. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm tired. Give it to me. Let me take it. We, 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 we try so hard to impress God with our actions and our deeds. No, God, I can, I can take it. I was always a little bigger than most kids my age. When I was in East Texas for some summer camps, we were on a five-mile hike 
And they had us carry backpacks, about 80 pounds each. Why? Because they could. And because we were dumb enough, to, dumb enough to do it. So we were about three and a half miles in, and there was a guy in my unit, as we called them. We were divided into groups of 10. And my unit, and he was, he was about, I don't know, five foot three, five foot two. He was a small kid, same age as me. But at that time, I had just hit six foot as a young man. And uh, <clears throat> I had the ability to, to carry a whole lot more than 80 pounds. I might not want to try it five miles right now. I have a lot of practice, but I could carry a little more than that. And uh, we, we asked him if he'd let us carry his backpack for him. And he said no. And that's fine. You're stubborn. I get it. Went to mile three, mile three and a half. By about mile four, he was way in the back, and we had to catch up. We walked back there. We grabbed his backpack off of him, and we divided the load up. And he could actually keep up. You could actually do what needed to be done. And we got through the hike together as a unit. And that's mentally for me personally, that's a picture I see of Christ walking along by us saying, it's a heavy burden. Will you give it to me? No, Lord, got this. I'm okay. We carry our burden. We, 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 we walk with it and it slows us down and it causes us pain and it destroys our, our spirits. And we say, Lord, Lord, I got this. I'm doing this. And God says, why? Why are you holding on to something you don't have to carry? I've only flown a few times, but I've learned the perfect size of carry-on and of, of uh, suitcase for me. If you buy the, the, the ones of three, I'm a medium. Why? It's perfect. I, can, I, I don't care if it's two days, 18 months, three years. That's the size I need any trip I need, because I don't, I don't pack much. But I see folks lugging around gigantic luggage bags. And there's some guy who married some gal who needs to learn that she doesn't need that much stuff for a three-day trip. And he's got both of these things, and he's got one around his neck, and he has a backpack on, and he's lugging it through the airport. Poor guy. He's got a burden on him. Someone needs to free him. <laughs> but that's how we are. Is there anything too hard for God? No. Then why are we holding on to what he wants to take off of us? Why are we depressed? Why are we upset? Why are we, why are we anxious about the what's, the when's, the how's when God has the will? I am excited for this church and its growth. But he's a limitless God. Let's not limit what he can do. Because we are trying to do it in our own power. We're going to grow, not by our power. No one in this room has the charismatic personality big enough. No one here has got the Joel Osteen fake smile. No one here has got the get rich quick. Unless you do. <laughs> I know. No one I know in this room has that get rich quick ability. It's going to be God who builds this church in his power, in his might. We could be a part of it. But if you find yourself like Jeremiah, a little sad, a little depressed, little tired of 
what's going on. Understand you serve a limitless God. O Lord, thou art strong and mighty. And God replies, I'm the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? A limitless God, that's who we serve. Let's not limit him by trying to take our own burdens and do it our own power and our own way. Amen? Let's be dismissed in prayer. Let's go forth and do some good. Heavenly Father, bless this day. God, thank you for your grace in our lives.